Good evening, Forest Heights Baptist Church. I'd like to welcome everyone to our evening worship service. We're going to begin tonight as we stand as we stand and sing in the sweet by and by. There's a man that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see at afar, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the sweet by and by. We shall meet. Just to 
Father, thank you for another opportunity to worship. And we just pray that we'll lift you up throughout it. We pray for your grace and its sufficiency to touch our lives in a
you can be seated. Okay, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. I've got it on, but I don't... Maybe... uh, Hold on a minute. <laughs> it might have just been delayed. Okay. Okay. Welcome back. This is Forest Heights Baptist Church. You don't hear me, do you? As no voice coming over. Is there now? Yeah, okay. Uh, it's kind of like us watching Fox News on Fire Stick. The mouth moves, but the uh, conversation catches, it never catches up with the uh, lips. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Is it working? No. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, y'all just try to, if you're watching, just try to uh, read my lips, you know, as they say. So, uh, that was a fi- famous saying, wasn't it? By- How about if I held one of these? Would that be okay? Okay. Okay. As long as y'all can, can you hear me in here? Okay. Good. Good. Okay. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. Okay, in Daniel chapter 1, we're going to continue our study uh, with Daniel and, and the, uh, especially the three Hebrew children that went with him. Uh, there were others that came with him, but it, these uh, four were uh, kind of identified and, and uh, talked about because, I guess, of their testimony and their service there. But in Daniel chapter 1, beginning with verse 8, we read, And Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself, with the king's choice food, or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God, and I I want you all to take note to this, now God granted Daniel favor uh, and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? 
then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. That's a nice way of putting, hey, I lose my head over it. Huh? <laughs> but Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink and let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youth who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days and at the end of 10 days their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. They must have been eating good fried okra, you think so? Anyway, and as for these four youth, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and out of them all not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued into the first day of Cyrus the king. Now he stayed there a pretty long time, didn't he? I mean, it must have been in, he must have been up around 90 or something like that. So uh, good old ripe age. So, you know, it's a... Uh, uh, or young age, should I say. The older I get, the younger that seems. So, uh, but let's go to the Lord in prayer as we uh, begin this message here. Father, I just want to thank you for your love and your grace and, God, all that you mean to us. And this op wonderful opportunity to come and worship you. And may we lift you up throughout the service. Lord, uh, glorifying you in everything that we say and do. Uh, help us to concentrate on on you and your word and your message that you have for our hearts. You know our hearts better than anyone else. And so uh, as I'm a vessel to be used uh, by you with this message, I just pray that you speak to the hearts the way you so desire and that we'll listen and adhere to what you're saying. And, and Lord, be obedient to, to do what you would have us to do. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, could you imagine? I could not imagine. Look, looking back, I, it's a hard thing to look back until, uh, I mean, as when I was 14 or 15 years old or 16. Well, 16 I could because I knew that was time driving. Boy, that was exciting. But 14 to 16 years of age, having to move like that to a foreign country. Could you imagine how these youth must have felt? I mean, he didn't take everybody. He, he just took the, the, the young and, and the intelligent and the, uh, uh, the ones that looked the healthiest so that he could use them for his benefit in his court. And so 
uh, here they are going to another country, another culture. I mean, I remember when Debbie and I, we had never moved out of the, the state of Georgia. Now, I know Rip, you know, he was in service, and, and Ann, y'all moved everywhere. But we had never been out of Georgia. We didn't even know a lot of the states existed hardly, you know, because we had not been around them. But here we are moving all of a sudden when I was called into the ministry to a foreign country by the name of Texas. And oh my goodness, it was it it was different. It was it was even a culture shock there, you know. Big city of Dallas. But here they were, they were moving to Babylon. And they were forced to enroll in their school system and forced to learn their their language and and you know their philosophy and they were surrounded by intimidating sights and sounds of the big city. I remember living in Dallas, and boy, that you know, I'd visit Atlanta every once in a while. But when you're living there, right at Dallas, it's something else. And uh, boy, driving uh, into Dallas every day downtown. I mean, we we went downtown. That's where the school was. And and my goodness, uh, and I drove sometimes when they would let me, and they didn't let me too much. But I, you know, I did at times. And and it, it was amazing how fast those people drove out there. I remember also visiting a, a school of prophets uh, type school out in California, L.A. Now that is one other place to drive in. Uh, but, uh, you know, I survived there. But, you know, today God's people are being indoctrinated into the culture of their day. And it's similar to this in some ways. Because, you see, Satan is behind a lot of philosophy. Not, I mean, you can gain a lot from education. They gained a lot from it, that, that education, didn't they? And God used that along with his wisdom and the knowledge that they had learned uh, from his word at a young age uh, to understand what to accept, what not, and how to use certain things. And certain things were, became uh, wonderful tools for them, but also... If we're not careful, if we're not grounded like they were, these tools, these instruments, these things, these patterns of living, uh, they can conform us to the present age and culture instead of us using them to help us to teach this culture and, and this society about Jesus. And so adults are challenged by the cultural reprogramming process. All the time, not only youth, but adults are. I mean, uh, we're faced with, uh, you know, the powerful influence that comes to our house every day, the, the media, right? I mean, we're in, we can be indoctrinated by them, and a lot of people are, day in and day out. Some are called news media, where they're not really news media, they're just commentaries, aren't they? They're just commenting on it. They're, they're just opinions. The internet, the television... The press, the tweets, the Facebook, they can be used for good, but they can also be used the other way, can't they? Now, we've got some young people that, that are up on that, but they know how it can be used one way and how it can be used another, and I'm thankful for that. But a lot of times they can take us over. So we, we've looked at the reason for the Israelites being taken into captivity. And the reason was 
that they had disobeyed the Mosaic law, one thing, and concerning the sabbatic year. But not only that, uh, they also had, uh, you know, entered into sin, gross sin, the, or the gross sin of idolatry. And so because of their rebellion, because of their sin, God was disciplining them. And he does that today. And if we don't believe that, then we need to open up our eyes and let God show us in the spiritual realm what he's talking about and look through his word. His word is no different today than it was back then. And he deals with us in similar patterns. And he lets us know. That if we're disobedient for our own good, he could discipline us. And he could discipline a country that is supposed to be filled with Christians that should be influencing a country in the positive way. We could be disciplined here. A lot of what's going on today could be disciplined from God. So we see that there was a reason, and the reason was that they had disobeyed God. God had warned them over and over again. He's long-suffering. Second of all, the reaction uh, that they had to this new surrounding, these young uh, Hebrew children here that are mentioned, uh, you know, they, they didn't, God didn't say, okay, I want you to withdraw, hide, get away as much as possible. What he said was, I want you to engage and help that society. That's what we're today, to do today, aren't we? And then we looked at some risk involved with the engagement. There's a risk where they were educated, and education can be a risk. You can gain a lot of things, and we use God's wisdom and use it in the right way. And, and uh, there's a lot of good uh, in education that you, that you learn that's, uh, I guess you'd say, amoral, you know, in, in the sense of uh, working with in, in the area of, uh, you know, Electronics, uh, electricity, uh, uh, you know, other uh, areas that you, uh, you learn, trades that you learn. I mean, uh, you know, there, there's certain things that are not harmful, it seems like, in the least. But there are certain things that can be harmful. And they were educating them, and they were trying to indoctrinate them for a reason. They wanted to brainwash them to change their way of thinking. And there are people, I don't care what we think or what we say, if it's contrary to this, there are people in our schools today, professors in our schools today, that would like to brainwash us in opposing ways to God's Word, to not believe God's Word, to not believe in God, and to certainly not uh, live a, uh, a, a righteous and holy life. They don't see the necessity of it. They don't see uh, the profit of it. And, and it hinders their desires to be satisfied, which are contrary, they fulfill them in a contrary way to the Word of God. And then we see there's a risk of the pattern of living, uh, you know, uh, how we're to live and uh, what we're to accept and what we're not to accept. And, to indoctrinate in our mind, you know, that it's okay to, to worship this and to worship that and to have all these worships along with God and it's a plurality of, uh, of uh, worship and, and we should accept everything. Uh, there's no one way to heaven. But we know that there, that's 
contrary to the word of God. We know that there is one way to heaven. And we know that also that there's a lot of moral teaching that is contrary to the word of God. There's a lot of teaching that and uh, indoctrination as far as uh, abortion and, and other things. Well, that's a person's right. Uh, well, you know, that is taking a life and that's, you know, that is contrary to the word of God. And then also these so-called alternate lifestyles that are not really, uh, you know, uh, acceptable for, before God. And so we, we see this. Uh, they, they tempted them in different ways in changing the patterns of their living, the way that they had been brought up according to the Word of God. And, and also the risk of worship by uh, changing their name. You know, they thought that would change their worship because why? They changed their names to other gods, their gods, of, uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's gods. And they thought that if they did that, then they would start worshiping the way that they worship and, and accept that style of worship and that style of religion. But uh, it did not work for them. So let's look at the, the fourth thing. We, we saw the, the reason for captivity, the reaction to it, the risk. Now let's look at their refusal. You know, I was telling you a story about a, a, a young woman who was working and helping the family and, and the main provider while her husband was in a seminary, in a very expensive seminary. Uh, it was a seminary that was evangelical, but it was not funded like we have in as Southern Baptist. It would be like Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, Regent, uh, wherever it might be. And so Bethel, uh, these are evangelical seminaries, Trinity, uh, the good seminaries, uh, Tabot out in California. But uh, they're not funded by a denomination. They're just evangelical. And they're, uh, most of them are conservative, that I mentioned, if not all. And they were going to a conservative evangelical seminary, but it was very expensive, and she was making good money. You remember uh, me telling you the story, and uh, they had a child, and uh, also uh, the cost of living while they're in seminary. Uh, you know, uh, you just can't imagine sometimes in, in big cities how much it might be, and then the expense of the school, and then she... Uh, got these contaminated uh, syringes and uh, she would not accept it she refused to accept them but it would cost them a great deal of money if they if she didn't accept them because they would be refused and she ended up not uh, accepting not signing the form and it cost her her job but God provides, and he provided for this family. May not be in the same amount of money, may not be with the same benefits, but he provides. So let's look at the refusal here to conform to the opposing ways of, uh, you know, uh, that God has placed before us. Uh, we see that uh, as we struggle with where a line should be drawn in our culture if we can learn from people like this can learn from godly people like Daniel and and the other Hebrew children who refuse to uh, you know conform to these opposing ways we 
uh, we can uh, pick up some principles in our life uh, that will help us when we are confronted to conform with our culture and our society that, that have opposing ways that want to bring us away from what we believe as God's children. Number one, the first thing that we need to learn is that God is sovereign. I mean, he's the one who calls the shots. If we don't have a big enough God, then we might as well forget about it because we're going to start conforming to what they offer. I promise you that. If we try to work it out and we are applied with pressure from without, and continually applied with pressure from without, and with professors who teach you a certain thing and put pressure on you. Some who have attended the university, and, and uh, you know, I've gone to uh, certain universities, uh, I've, I've seen this happen, and many of you have, where they want you to put it in their form. They want you to believe their way. They want to counsel out all other beliefs and their belief, their way, is the right way or the only way. And so here we see that these people, did, these young men did not conform to this because they learned that God calls a shot. You know, uh, in the book of Daniel, we have the conflict and there was a conflict here between Jehovah and Nebuchadnezzar's God, Marduk. The king was convinced that his God, I mean, here was a lost person, and rightly so, he probably, you know, you would believe the same way if you were lost and situation had happened this way, had answered his prayers because he overtook Judah. But he was looking at it from a human perspective. His God was not real. And we, in, in his prayer, uh, he prayed, O merciful Marduk, may the house that I have built endure forever. May I be satisfied with its splendor and receive therein tribute of the kings of all regions from all mankind. Well, what was he doing at the time? I mean, he was overtaking everyone. And so... When Babylon uh, overtook Judah, it seemed to be the answer to the king's prayer. And when his triumphant armies came back from Jerusalem with all the vessels, it says, out of God's house, Jehovah's house, what did he think? Well, he thought that his God was greater. And he placed them in his house of God's, in the treasury of his God. Just imagine. Now here were these young people. Israel, if you don't have a proper view of God, boy, you're lost here. Here's, here's Israel, here's Judah, and here's these young men being taken captive. They're being placed in the king's court, and where do they have to go? Could you imagine them going into the temple to meet Nebuchadnezzar? And what did they see there? They saw the treasuries from where? From their temple. 
from Jerusalem. I mean, this to Nebuchadnezzar was, was proof that his God was greater. And it would have been proof to Daniel and them, young people, young minds. Hey, this God probably is stronger. This God probably is the God that we should worship. Maybe he's the God that we should worship with Jehovah. But Daniel and the other Jewish men had to remember that just because it seemed that Marduk had won, in reality he had not. <coughs> Daniel believed and understood that it was Jehovah God who called the shots. Now, how do we know this? Well, who wrote the book of Daniel? I guess Daniel did, right? You know? So, it says here, but if not, we know the man that was inspired wrote it. But yeah, he wrote it. Daniel. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, unto Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Daniel 1, 2. What does it say there at first? The Lord gave Jehoiakim, their king, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Look in verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor. Wow. And look in verse 17. As for the four use, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now what did you hear over and over again there? God gave, God gave, God gave. Daniel's view of life was a view that nothing happened outside of God's control. And we need that. We need that today. When things don't happen, when things seem to be falling apart, we better believe that God calls the shots, that God's in control. That God knows what's happened. That he's not on vacation somewhere and letting us run the mess. We better know that because if we don't, then we will fall. And they would have failed if they didn't believe that. You see, Daniel viewed life as nothing happening without God's permission. Either because of our failures or because of God's hidden purposes, we are where we are by God's divine will or permissive will. Not because of us and our power to operate outside of God's control. If we are to face our culture triumphantly, we must realize this principle and accept it. If we don't, then we're going to be defeated. We'll either blend in and compromise or we'll withdraw from completely or try to. So the only way we can refuse these lies that the culture presents to us is by 
not divorcing God from our predicament, realizing that he's there, calling the shots, whether it seems like it or not, he is there. So for us to believe that God is in control, that he is calling the shots, there needs to be adequate preparation. This doesn't just fall out of heaven. Oh man, I can just, you know, I'm a young person. I, I choose to say that God calls the shots and then go about life and not know why you're saying that. This was not the case. It began early in Daniel's life. It didn't just happen. And because it began early in Daniel's life, he could use wisdom. That's the second thing. Use wisdom in our approach. He could use the wisdom that was from God in his approach. Learn, he learned to distinguish between association with and participation in. The four Hebrew children did not participate in the culture's evil. You see, God gave these, these four men the wisdom that they needed to know when and where to draw the line. We need to know that. And sometimes it's offering an alternate plan. He'll give you, with his wisdom, the alternate plan. Look. Look at verses 12 and 13. Feed us vegetables for 10 days, and if we are not as healthy as all those who are eating the king's food, then we will concede that you have a point. Daniel knew when and where to draw the line. So, you know, because God doesn't always give us an alternate plan. Sometimes it's a definite what? No. You, if you look over in Daniel chapter 6, verse 7, it said, Whoever prays to another god other than the king must be thrown into the lion's den. Who was thrown into the lion's den? Daniel. Daniel refused to be intimidated. He continued to pray. And he prayed with his windows open towards Jerusalem unapologetically and he was thrown into the lion's den I was listening to uh, John MacArthur in an interview the other night and uh, with uh, uh, Laura Ling Ingram I believe is her name and uh, on Fox and uh, she was talking to him about him refusing to yield to the orders out there in California as far as keeping church closed down or, or just allowing certain amount. And they, he said they, they were just full of people. And um, he, um, he said that, you know, uh, it's it just come to a point where he said, I had to draw the line. And they have no right to tell us what to do. And so uh, she said, well, what about risking being thrown in jail and he said well he said you know um it's kind of like paul when he entered a town paul didn't check the yellow pages for the ends 
and which ends there were. He checked to see how many jails there were. And he said, I've never had a jail ministry or been involved with one, but he said, if I was thrown in jail, I guess I would start a jail ministry. There's times, and we better pray about them, and know that this is what God teaches, but we must draw a line and say no. Other times, God gives us alternate plans. Daniel knew when to draw the line. If the king wanted to call him by a new name, which he did, that didn't change his real name. That was just him calling him by that name. It didn't change the, the name or his character or his convictions. That was not worth bothering with. Some things are not worth fighting over. You pick your battles. But there are things that call for a line to be drawn. And this type of decision starts not immediately. It starts with little choices. And hear me out here, please. It's in the small matters that great victories are won. We need to learn that. If Daniel had said, I want to live for God in big ways and chose not to start out with the trivial, the little things, then do you think he would have been as strong as he was? But, you know, a lot of people starting out, they, they have a good intent and they want their life to, to count. They have big dreams and there's nothing wrong with that. But the temptation comes when patience is required. Many are tempted to let the little things slide to jump into the big things. Daniel and these men were not. Jesus told us in Luke 16.10, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest, dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Being wholly given over to God is essential and is possible but only through preparation. You make that decision and it comes through preparation. And preparation is for future services. So wisdom comes by way of preparation and seeking. James tells us there's nothing wrong in asking for it, but you need to be ready to be prepared. I mean, when God gives you wisdom to act according to God's word, and then all of a sudden your feelings say, I don't want to go that way, you better be prepared. You better be prepared for what God directs you to do. James tells us if we lack wisdom, we you know, need to pray for it. But just asking for wisdom and not wholly following the Lord is foolish. There needs to be proper preparation. For example, a Christian doctor, can he work in the same hospital 
and even be friends with another doctor who is an abortionist, but he's totally against it? Sure he can. As long as he stands up for his convictions. That's where the line seems to be blurred so often. We become friends, and that is very hard. This is why you need to be wholly following the Lord, because the closer you become to a person, the friendlier you become to that person, the, uh, you know, the relationship that grows with that person can be the very stumbling block, if we're not careful, that keeps us from moving forward for the Lord and has us compromising our convictions. You see, a doctor can do that. I know two jurists. One just died, Ginsburg. The other one was uh, Scalia. They were very good friends, weren't they? But opposite. They disagreed, and they even met together. They would have lunch together. They would talk about these things and discuss these things. And Scalia didn't compromise with what he believed, and nor did she. But you knew where they stood. Drawing the line. It started with childhood training. You may say, but, you know, I was saved late in life or I've recommitted my life and I'm older now and, uh, you know, all those years have gone. Well, start now and diligently follow the Lord. That's what God is telling us. Mature in the Lord, that's the third thing. Be mature in your approach. To know when you draw the line. To know when to draw the line. To know what to draw the line over and how to draw it. You need to be mature. You need to be growing. Let's just say that you have a daughter who's marrying another woman. Pretty common today. Well, let's say that you are asked to attend the wedding. Is it wrong to attend the wedding? This is where maturity comes in. Some Christians say yes, even though they uh, do not believe in the union, they say it's okay to. They say, I'm attending it, it's not going to change my mind, I'm attending it because I want the door open for further witnessing. And then there are others who refuse to go at all. Their reasoning is that it will be wrongly viewed as them accepting that union. Because we have such strong convictions, we need to be mature in how we view those who have similar convictions, but handle things differently. And these men were. I'm sure there were others who would have handled it differently or some of the things differently with, with Daniel and them. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 14. Conflict of the conscience. 
in eating certain foods or not eating certain foods. Don't be quick to judge each other. No matter what our decisions is or are, we need to love one another. And love should control us, always abounding. The two jurists that I was mentioning earlier, that's what did it. And believe it or not, love can say no. We don't believe it today, but it can. I know it's not popular, but it, it, we can. It does. What we cannot do is let the world tell us where we are to draw the line. That's the main thing. And so often we let the world do it. We cave in. So to believe that God calls the shots, to believe that we need to use wisdom in our approaches and to make sure that our approaches is done in a mature fashion, you've got to have, you've got to have, and I've already mentioned a lot of this throughout, but or brought it throughout the, the uh, services, deep convictions. People, you've got to know what you believe. And it's got to be according to God's word. Preferences, you can have preferences. But I'm talking about principles. I'm talking about uh, the word of God. We're told that Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with wine which he drank. Literally, that means that he set upon his heart not to eat or drink his food or wine. In other words, he made up his mind, but he made up his mind not at, on an instantaneous, spur-of-the-moment feeling-type decision. He made up his mind well before he was asked to decide. He was prepared in mind and heart before the delicious smells began to tantalize his appetite. And so often we wait until those things start tantalizing our desires, don't we, before we make the decision. This type of resolve will not just happen, as I said. Where did it come from? How was Daniel, a youth, able to, uh, to have such victories, such convictions, such commitment? Well, he was a young boy living during the reign of Josiah of Judah. You remember what happened there? Under Josiah, the temple was repaired, and guess what was brought out? What was shared? The Word of God. It had not been shared. Been tucked away. Revival spread throughout the country. And I'm sure that this revival had a deep lasting effect upon Daniel, but not only upon Daniel, but upon his parents. For you see, his parents named him Daniel. And this brought importance in his life. a knowledge of God and a faith to live by, they gave him. And I believe this came about at an early age. And, you know, they were influenced 
by their parents. Look at the names here. Uh, among these were uh, some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And this is, you know, as implied in their names, the parents expected them to live that way. Names meant something of importance during that time, and they gave them names to teach them and to remind them how to live and how important God was. Daniel, God is my judge. And so that gives him a, a high view of who? God. God is my judge. It's as though his parents might have been telling him, you will not always have to give an account to us, son. But one day you will have to give an account to our great God who made the heavens and the earth and who is in charge of everything. He is watching over you always. He knows all that you think and all that you do. He is alone your God, your judge. So watch your life and live according to his word. Each of the four mentioned had godly names which implied the importance of God in their lives. How important is God to us? You know, a Japanese girl was studying in an American college. Classmate invited her home for Christmas. She didn't have anywhere to go. She came with that girl enthusiastically. While there, they, intend, they attended church and Christmas services and all that. And uh, she ate with the family. She lived with the family for a while during Christmas holidays. And just prior to the return to school, they asked the Japanese girl, the mother did, how do you like the way we Americans live? And the young student said, I love it. You have a beautiful home and a wonderful family. But one thing puzzles me. I said, what? Well, I went to church with you, and I saw you worship your God. In Japan, we have a chef, and we worship our gods right there in our houses. Do you Americans worship your God in your houses? Wow. If we don't worship our God in our homes, then we'll never be prepared to live as effective Christians in our culture. which calls for, and I'm going to end it here, with radical obedience. It means that we are called to live for God and be obedient to God with all of our heart and with all of our soul. No matter how the culture may present themselves to us and, and allow us to think that we're weird that we are uncultured that we're not intelligent that we're stupid really a lot of them look at us that way no matter what they say we are to make that strong stand for the lord a radical a radical obedience
Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, Daniel resolved, purposed in his heart, that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. And he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. And God granted Daniel favor. And he granted him compassion before this commander. God took care of him. He determined in his heart. He resolved in his heart. God, may we resolve in our heart by your grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit to live the kind of life that you would desire us to live that will bring honor and glory to you and that we will help this culture in understanding that our way is better just like when they were tested Lord you took care of them and the king saw that and he saw how their God had taken care of them and his way was the best way God help us to present to a world that our way which is your way is the best way in Jesus name amen God's dealing with your heart in any way any special way any specific way maybe it's to come and kneel at the altar maybe it's to make some other decision you come as we stand at this time Lord Jesus I get homecoming next week the uh, sign up sheet will be in the back and we are looking forward to that so all are invited and and just be here and just uh, enjoy the time together we'll have Liam with us of course and the lady that's coming out of the church that he was in to uh, play and sing and and him play and and it's going to be a great time we'll have that concert any other announcements before we leave okay let's leave rejoicing in the Lord you think you can do that? Yeah.